Paperman meets such interesting people. Coming up next, it's the Media Project. Alan Shartok, Ira Fussfeld, Rosemary Armeo, and Mirek Smith with some commentary on media issues of the week. We'll look back at that extraordinary FBI search of Mar-a-Lago and how it was covered and how the news broke. We'll talk about some of the language that we use, what does pro-life mean anyway, and why it is that the New York Times prospers while a big chain struggles. Those topics and more coming up on the Media Project. It's all next. Papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now, Hey, it's the professor, the publisher, the investigator, the editor. It's the old gang here for the Media Project. Welcome, folks, for a half hour of commentary on issues involving the media. I'm Rex Smith, formerly editor of the Times Union, now at the Upstate American. Here's Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, former publisher of the Fire Island uh, Tide, or whatever it was called. <laughs> I forget what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Sun. Oh, sun. oh yeah, go. sun. Oh yeah, the brightness. <laughs> Follow the morning sun. Ira Fussfeld, formerly publisher of the Daily Freeman of Kingston, New York, and affiliated publications. Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist, professor, and she's done everything else too. So, there's... Seth Cook. <laughs> Rosemary had a terrible time trying to make a clafuti. I'm so sorry, Rosemary. Yeah, it yeah. was. Well, my cat liked it. All right. Well, Egg and butter all over the place. Well, I like the fact that now we all know about this because of Facebook. I mean, here's a <laughs> A little chance to write a personal essay. Yes. There we go. You know, nobody yes. else would have, you wouldn't have had a, a vehicle for that in the mm-hmm. past. So, you know, there is some value to this. Uh, I did have a newspaper media. column that was well, yeah, sort well. of a vehicle. Other than that, yeah, remember newspapers, Rex? <laughs> newspaper columns, I do vaguely. What is the story with these uh, fake newspapers that are out there? I'm told that there are political campaign leaflets now that are disguised as newspapers. You ever seen those? I vaguely remember one of the political parties in Ulster County, New York, where I published each year the weekend before Election Day. They put out a supplement that was not exactly looking like a newspaper, but it was printed on newsprint. And people who didn't really look carefully might have been fooled by it. 
Hmm. So it's not a new phenomenon, but... But when you consider a lot of newspapers began as partisan vehicles, you know, I was sure. the editor of a little paper in Indiana that was called the Rensselaer Republican. It was blatantly biased in support of Republican. Abraham Lincoln's party. Yeah. When I started at the Daily Freeman in 1970, I was told the story that the city editor who had retired before I got there, at the same time he was the city editor, he was the chairman of the Kingston City Republican Party. <laughs> so the rules were different. Wow. Back yeah, it was a little bit different. But nowadays, in the digital realm, it's of course much easier because you can spread information that is overtly partisan with a title behind it that sounds like it's independent, you know, the Capital Region Gazette or something. I guess that term is used, but you could do that and people believe what they want to believe, right? What can you do? That's right. People can make stuff up and well, some people will believe it. And since there is such overt bias now in at least a share of the media, since, for example, by story selection, Fox News is letting you know only certain things and is certainly giving you only a, a picture of the world that they wish for you to see, it's much harder to tell the difference between campaign literature and the real stuff. This is a very interesting discussion, far different than I thought we would get into when I first read the article we're basing it on. My thought was I've never seen a political leaflet that looked like a newspaper, and you hardly ever see newspapers anywhere. How pathetic are you when you're trying to get more readership by emulating a newspaper, which is also dying. What does that say about political campaign? <laughs> it means you're desperate. Yeah, But really. there are more than 1,200 mysterious local news websites, according to the mm -hmm. Atal Center for Digital right. Journalism at Columbia. And that is where it's going. They have these algorithmic stories uh, that echo conservative talking points. And so people think they're getting real news when, in fact, they're getting partisan stuff. Well, as I've said here on numerous occasions, I believe that the Democrats and the liberal media are always accused of looking down on the Republicans and the far right and calling them stupid. I have always taken the position that the people who, who think they're uh, the far right is stupid are the people who run the Republican and conservative parties because they know they can make a comment and it will be believed and swallowed without any uh, any questioning. They're just going to accept it at face value. and that's. But it appears that it is in, in many ways. Look at the latest thing with Trump, the raid on uh, Trump's Mar-a-Lago well, well, estate. Even uh, the use of the word raid, isn't it? Isn't that, that was well, Trump's the, term? Well, it was a raid. We use the word raid. If the FBI goes in and pulls out stuff, we call it a raid. What mm. he used goes was in siege and occupation. Those were ridiculous. Goes in uninvited. Yeah, they were definitely uninvited. It was a raid, even by our own terminology. Mm. It was not a siege. It was not an occupation. They didn't have snarling dogs snapping at Melania. It was ridiculous. But, okay, whatever. Trump's going to do his thing and spin it so it makes him look like a victim and rally people to his support, which appears to be working. That's what concerns me. Without any information at all from the FBI or the Department of Justice. We have leaders, the highest Republican leaders in this government saying we have to defund the FBI. This is rampant corruption, out of control police work. They have no idea the extent of the wrongdoing that the FBI is looking into. And I do acknowledge the, how crazy this is that I come from the liberal side and we for years were the ones suspicious of the FBI and its intentions and that's now flipped. Hmm. But I, I've come to wonder whether um, conservative, uh, I can't call them readers, conservative media consumers actually care about information at all. 
But relative to the use of the word raid, I, I agree with you that it is a, a, it's a word that seems to be appropriate, but the FBI has make, is making the distinction, and you alluded to it. They didn't go in with dogs. They didn't go in with the fancy windbreakers that yeah. say FBI. Exactly. Or the battering they, ram to take down the door right. like they did Breonna Tyler. So, yeah, yeah. They, they're making the distinction between raid and search. Mm-hmm. However, if you were Donald Trump, you would be taking the most difficult interpretation, wouldn't you? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. no, of course, this is not strictly a media issue, but but the thing that has struck me in the days since that raid uh, is is that the response from the Trump and Trump people was that they planted evidence and did all these nasty things to them, can make making them victims. You didn't hear one person say, "Don't worry, there's nothing to worry about." They didn't find anything that's incriminating. None of none of them are de- <laughs> none of them are defending him on that merit. They're only alleging to distract us that it was done Correct. wrong and he was picked on. But you have to, at least, much as I dislike the man, I have to admire the brilliance of what I saw in the last few days. I mean, I was jubilant when I heard there was a raid execution of a warrant, whatever you want to call it, because, like, well, finally we're getting to it. But he spun it. He spun it wonderfully. And, in fact, he's more powerful now. His his um, opportunity to run for the Republican nomination is more strong now than it was a week ago because he has successfully painted the U.S. government as wronging him. Not only did he spin it, but he was smart enough to get out in front of it. He was the first, he, who made the first comment saying it he happened. Did. He did. He confirmed it. Which is what your media consultant uh, would tell you to do. I mean, I used to do workshops with PR people uh, to talk about how people might deal with the, the media. And I was always telling them, if something, <laughs> from my personal interest as a journalist, I would say, oh, something bad is happening to you. You need to be honest and forthright because if you lie, we're eventually going to find out. This PR guy is saying, oh, no, you got to get out in front of it and put your take on it so that lie the your butt buy off it. in other words yeah, yeah. right the fundamental fact is that he has trump has a copy of the search warrant he knows exactly what they were looking for he knows exactly what the allegations are against him and he he chooses not to disclose it which means it's probably not favorable to him and instead what we're hearing is oh the fbi and this and the department of justice are covering up they have to come out they have to be transparent and Jennifer Rubin, I give her credit for this, of the New York, of the Washington Post, rather, is saying, forget that. That's not the way it works. It's supposed to be confidential. It's supposed to be secret. James Comey was wrong when he talked about mm-hmm. uh, Hillary Clinton. And we should not be talking ever about these investigations until there's an indictment. And she's right. She's but we've lost that. Right, though we in the media take, try to take advantage of people, sources inside who oh, will yeah. tell us things. Oh, uh, yeah. The FBI is notoriously hard to crack. You cannot get a lot of comment usually from federal officials, usually. Uh, now, there are times. It, there are times, but this was not yeah, one of them. This is the, not one of them. Even right. people on the beat, on the national security beat, on the FBI beat, you name it, they did not know about this until it was well over. The first person who broke the story, in fact, was a local blogger who's actually a partisan, not even a journalist, right? Yeah, he, he doesn't want to be described as a journalist yeah. for whatever reason, although the stories about him say he does have an organization with 17 or 18 people, so it right. sounds like a journalist. Or, or, well, 
Well, it's except that it's all partisan. His name is Pete Schorsch, uh, or Scorch, S-C-H-O-R-S-C-H. And he is a guy who actually has been given favorable coverage to people who buy ads on his site, and he's been attacking I hope uh, you don't think that journalists. he would be the first person. I was just going to say Alan was going to jump on that. Favorable coverage to people who buy from his... Uh, one one, of, the, huh. uh, one of the standards of going to speak at Alan's classes, and he'd ask you the question, have you ever favored an advertiser? Ah. So you, you've been on that horse for and, a long time. And have you always said no? I mean, I don't think I've ever... I've always said no. And and I've pointed out that we suffered occasionally when an advertiser pulled out, you know, yeah. even if temporarily. Though I do recall, I was on vacation once when I was the editor of the paper, and a photographer wrote a caption under photograph that referred to the wife of a prominent local business person as his mother. Oh. And this was enough of a crisis that I was called at a vacation, well, actually at my niece's wedding down in Maryland, and had to try to figure out how to calm the troubled waters of the And how did you do that, Rex? Well, I called him and said, and apologized profusely and said, I'm terribly sorry. It's terribly embarrassing. We make these mistakes sometimes. (laughs) And, you know, he was offended for his wife's sake. But that was not uh, (laughs) coverage. Uh, We didn't bias our coverage in favor of the guy. We just, you know, kind of, I think the technical term is sucked up to him once we and, you know, that kind of mistake, which we've all experienced at our publications, it beats you with small little bites because that will happen and then or something else will happen here and something else will happen here. And particularly in small communities, people become aware of these errors and it hurts the credibility of the organization. I think that's one of the reasons we began losing trust in, is that just these small things that people remember. Hmm. You know, the one thing that you look at is, let's just say, the automobile dealer, I don't want to name a brand, you know, is accused of having done some nufki pufki somewhere with somebody. <laughs> so what, what was no, it? Nufki pufki. Aha, uh-huh. yeah. okay. <laughs> Got it. With somebody. And then the question is, does the automobile dealer withdraw their sponsorship or underwriting or, well, we don't call it you know oh, oh, oh you, it's you, not, we don't call it sponsorship no, no, it's you, underwriting you people are <laughs> you people are you the, people yeah. why is it always auto dealers we had an issue with an auto dealer Rex had one they seem to be the most because they true. used to spend the most money with us they're the ones who made the big threats yeah. there they, actually was an advertising executive at my paper who used to put forth the proposition that we would be better off not to accept any automobile advertising because it was so much trouble all the time. It took so much staff to service them. Yeah, yeah. to schmooze yeah. them all the time. Yeah. 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 That was Calm one of the, the good things about... What do you about... mean service them? Well, not what you're implying. Yeah, <laughs> it was, you know, just to go out and get their ads because it has so much data in it. My first newspaper job was putting together advertising in the advertising department of the Rapid City Journal in Rapid City, South Dakota. And those these poor underpaid young people, in my case, had to put all this meticulous little stuff on these ads with all these, you know, 1959 Fords and stuff. That yeah, and that was one of the great advances that when we went to cold type as opposed to hot type, the advertiser produced the document in its completion, yeah. so you didn't have to worry about that anymore. Ah, uh, the good old days. I remember when that happened. <laughs> no, I do. I was working with the uh, Fire Island uh, newspaper. <laughs> and then they invented the wheel and everything yeah. changed. And I, and I remember when we would have, you know, this whole business of the cold, uh, you could just take anything and you could take a picture of it and uh-huh. it'll be good. And it's miraculous. As opposed to the old days when you had to set it up in hot type. Yep, had to get lead and then make a mat out of it. Oh, boy, it was get lead. something. There you go. So there we are here with a little reminiscence media project. By the way, we were talking about language. A reader from Gilderland named Mark, 
who makes it clear that he's not the Mark who writes into the round table every day, apparently. <laughs> you guys have a Mark. So this Mark from Gilderland was upset because Rosemary, in a previous program, as well as Barbara Lombardo, used the term pro-life to refer to those who oppose a, abortion. That's been a thorny topic for years. How do you deal with the, you know, the language of how we talk about the abortion issue? You know? yeah, I, I think it's a valid point. I think we would have been better to say the self-described pro-life or something like that. They actually are anti-abortion, which is how anti-choice, right? Well, choice. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Choice. You know, ice cream, chocolate, or vanilla is a choice too. And this is pro and anti-abortion, and both sides right. try to get around that by picking other names. Right. Pro and abortion rights. I think that people can be in favor of choice, abortion rights, even if they say, well, I don't really like the idea of abortion. Nobody really enjoys the concept right. or the experience of an abortion, you know. So anyway, that well, is reproductive just, rights as reprodu- it's turning out. I mean, we have yeah. we, we have a serious problem right now mm-hmm. with um, mm-hmm. caring for women who have miscarriages, which is a significant number of people because in many states now the treatments simulate abortion and so they're being withheld or delayed. And that's a direct health threat. So reproductive rights is really where we're at. You know, before we leave the topic, I'm sorry to I strayed off the topic of the Mar-a-Lago search. It is worth spending a moment just to talk about how it was covered in different elements of the media. You know, how it happened on a Monday, which is the one day a week when Rachel Maddow is still on MSNBC. And so, of course, she was as cheerful as could be in yeah. her coverage. <laughs> You're not linking the uh, timing, are you? Well, it, it also was on the anniversary of Nixon resigning. That has some sort of resonance. Of not yeah, but they, you're not suggesting that the FBI timed it coincide with this historical events. Some people you are, you are yeah. wondering well, that, yes. I think it was more having to do with the principal being out of state. Uh, Donald Trump was in New York, uh, they knew, because he was preparing for his deposition with Letitia James. Uh, but it's really interesting that the description of it on Fox News was so aggressive. The MAGA message was the government is corrupt, but on the left side, the MSNBC side, that was where they made the big point of saying it was on the 40th anniversary of Nixon's resignation, announcing his resignation. So quite interesting. What do you do when you have silence? The Department of Justice saying nothing. Journalists hate a vacuum. Information needs to be out there. You have a story that you've got to file. And so no wonder the Trump interpretation gets more attention because they're at least offering you something. But are are we, the legacy media, the the mainstream media, are we required to print in their entirety some of the comments from people like Eric Trump or others who use the opportunity to be quoted and get in the newspapers and on TV to, as the father did, blast the process, just make outrageous claims that pretty much go unanswered in the use of their quotes. Well, why do you use the word required? I think required because most of us of a certain age still believe in, he said this, so what's the other side say? And I think other we're... Side is a... I, I actually think that the, the media walked a good line, the legacy media walked a really... It was difficult that you don't have the other side, but they did a great job pointing out that Merrick Garland is no cowboy, that this is a slow careful, deliberate, considerate man. He looked at everything. This had the approval of the top officials. Biden didn't know about it. Um, that um, th- this is an extraordinary, unprecedented act, a bold act that would not have been taken unless really warranted. The, 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 the media gave this side of the establishment without actually hearing mm-hmm. it from them. Hmm. Interesting. 
By the way, the same thing that happened on, on that very day, it was a big day Monday of that last week when this came out because it was also on that day that some of the first dribs and drabs came out about Maggie Haberman's upcoming book, yes. Confidence Man, which is going to be published in October. And one of the interesting things that came out of that was photos of the documents that Donald Trump was said to have flushed down the toilets. Somebody mm-hmm. took pictures of uh, the White House toilets. Right. I'm just surprised that we're hearing this, you're finding out about this now, right? Isn't it? Well, we heard about it at the time. She wrote about it at the time. But Did she? Yeah. Yeah, because oh, I, yeah. I think we. It's just this is just the latest of a number of examples where, and, and it happened, it predates the Trump presidency in the Trump books where White House reporters or political reporters will write a book and it, it, that reveals information that presumably was not reported at the time. Why, why are they holding it for the, why are they allowed to hold it? I, you know that's not that's not true. Ira. I've not, read I've read the the Washington Post White House reporters have now had two books come out. I've read them and I don't like them. It's like I know all this. What they do is take all of those individual little reports that they did file at the time and put it all together. They now have depth and perspective and con- more context. So that is the reason for a book. But I mean, if you're following it every day like we are, they're not fun to read. They're like, eh, this is old. Well, but especially. <laughs> It's funny. I started to say, especially Bob Woodruff. Well, he's he's using this example that did, that did it the right way. Woodward and Bernstein did report all along, and that the all the president's mm-hmm. men recapsul- recapsulized the event, but that they did report it. I I see somebody like Jonathan Carl from ABC News who was on all the programs talking about events that he said were not reported at the time. Well, why not? Hmm. I wish I understood what the relationship is between the reporter and his primary boss in terms of do they have an agreement that, yes, you, you don't have to use this now, you have to use this now, et cetera. I don't know how that works. Uh, I, I'm surprised at that, too, because you would think that uh, certainly in most contracts where there is uh, where there are reporters, especially that, that are represented by a union, the contract specifies that you owe your content to your employer. That is uh, not the, if you're writing for the Washington Post, that is the Washington Post's information, not yours. Right. Uh, and you have to get permission to publish elsewhere, as in a book issued by a publisher or something else, I would think. There was the case of Woodward, though, who withheld Trump's real feelings about coronavirus <clears throat> and held them in the book. Do you remember that? That he was telling, uh, Trump was telling him in like February of 2020, this is a, this is a really bad thing. It's going to, a lot of people are going to go. It's really dangerous. Right. And, and that did not come out until the book. So, right. yeah, mm-hmm. there are instances. But didn't he get in trouble for that? I mean, I mean, it's Woodward, so he can do whatever he wants, but that, that was not good practice. Yeah. Interesting. If you, by the way, uh, want to say something to us, media at wamc.org is our email, media at wamc.org. Okay, let's talk a little bit about success and failure. You know, one of the sad things uh, that is true about the, we were talking about the decline of media, and that is that over 57% drop in newspaper newsroom employees since 2004, 57% Fewer people working wow. in newspapers That's extraordinary. since that daily and weekly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not missed, and that goes back to my point: is do Americans want news anymore? Do they are they interested in the truth being ferreted out and presented to them? Well, I think they're missed in smaller publications. Where, where there's no alternative coverage. But that's the question. Why is it that uh, Gannett then is struggling? The biggest chain uh, in the country, 200 regional outlets well, plus USA Today. Well, because they stink for one reason. <laughs> well, yeah, because yeah, there are no reporters. Uh, well, they kind of stunk before. 
they were not good papers even when they had lots of reporters Rex come on that's yeah. a low quality chain it's the death of newspapers can go back to uh, Gannett and its desire to change the the calculus of profit making in newspapers I I, I have a really really I, I resent. I that. think there were exceptions. I mean, they, you you want to paint them with a broad brush. Yes, uh, I, do. I I think that there were a number of Gannett papers that were good newspapers and have suffered over the years. The Poughkeepsie Journal. Poughkeepsie Journal, Rochester. Mm-hmm. Uh, they suffered as soon as Gannett bought them and began. Oh, they were Gannett, Well, dumping the, staff. Come on, name name a paper that Gannett took over and built up the staff the way Bezos has the Washington Post. You cannot give me one. Well, that part is true. You, they did not, uh, and they, and you know, the the decline started so early that it's take a, a a powerful paper like the Indianapolis Star, the Des Moines Register, which were statewide papers. When they right. became Gannett papers, they did start to go downhill. Gannett set the model that newspapers could had to do more than just make money. Newspapers were profitable. That that's why they existed for a long time. They made money, but Gannett made it that they had to consistently make money quarter after quarter after quarter, and it had to keep increasing. And the business couldn't do it. Newspapers rose and fell with recession and and boom times. Well, that was a, that that motivation, which is certainly one that I'm familiar with, with the company that I work for, was when we were public. You had to do that. You had to satisfy Wall Street. You had you to didn't s- before Gannett made that the model. You did not. It was I can't remember the guy's name. The, the Newharth. Yeah, he was the. He's the one who USA did it. Today. He was the Wall Street darling who made newspapers now consistently and increasingly profitable. But, but so why is it that that the New York Times is so successful? Uh, they're making so much money. You know, they have profits for the last quarter that was just reported of seventy-six million, whereas Gannett, which is actually slightly larger has a quarterly operating loss of uh, about that same amount. Well, you know? it's a long time since Carlos Slim. Remember him? And mm-hmm. and the Times was in such bad trouble they had to go and borrow money. There's been a turnaround. Apparently, the leadership at the Times is much better. Well, the Times ha- has a built-in advantage that makes them unique, which is what it is they cover. They're, they're not just covering a county in the middle of New York City. They're co- they're covering the entire world. And so their content has got a, a, such appeal that it can draw upon readers and advertisers from what, literally the rest of the world. And there's only one Times. They, they've also consistently over, what, 10 years now, mm-hmm. built a, a digital, a strong digital base. Very smart. And they've worked, they've worked on that. They, a, a great criticism, by the way, when they were cutting back on their print product and building the digital base, um, they were criticized for that. And yet it's paying off monetarily right now, I think. Well, Rosemary, just for the sake of our listeners, I always like to clue them in on what's the difference when you say digital versus anything else? Well, one example that comes to mind because the great Margaret Sullivan is leaving uh, the, the Washington Post. She's our ombudsman. She began as the ombudsman for the New York Times. They eliminated that position. They decided that, um, you know, we, we don't really have to tell our tell readers how we work and what we do. That's that's old-fashioned now. So that was one of the things they criticized. And instead, they built this steady market using paywalls and uh, price incentives and timing of news releases so that people knew you go to NewYorkTimes.com if you want to hear anything. Well, and that's al- basically what we do now, they also have, happening in the world. They also have no debt. They got rid of yes. some of the oh, publications that they purchased yeah, in, I point. guess, Florida. What was was the were you in Florida? Was that a New York Times? Yeah, they got rid of all the, the Boston Globe. Papers. They got rid yes. of so yeah. they got rid of all their debt. Good was, point. They were a step ahead. 
And uh, whereas the debt th- from Gannett, when Gannett uh, split up the company between newspapers and TV, all the debt was burdened onto the newspaper division. That's what happened with my company when it bought the New Haven, Re- well, when it bought the Goodson publications that I was a part of, hundreds of millions of dollars for that purchase at just the time that the industry was starting to slide in the wrong direction. And how does that feel when that happens in your... You've got a position in. It feels it feels like I, how did I get so stupid? All of a sudden we were doing so well, and then all of a sudden we weren't doing well anymore. Amazing. Okay, that's all we have time for this week. I'm what? afraid to say yes. No, that can't we're be out of time. I'm I'm sorry. You just it is. started. Well, I, you know, I I'd say the message of those statistics is that quality matters. That the reason yeah. people are buying New York Times subscriptions is because yeah. you can get the real news there yeah. and the disinvestment. And not from Gannett. But they've the, also the New York Times, which didn't have a comics page or anything. What, what's one of their biggest features now? Wordle. Wordle. Hey, let's hear it. Absolutely. I didn't do Wordle today. Oh, dear. Okay, Hurry up. All right. <laughs> do that, folks. That's the Media Project. Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks to our producer, Dave Gassina, and to you folks for joining us on the Media Project. To represent the common people. Funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, the publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.